This is The Dog and Bone. Welcome to The Dog and Bone, a series of podcasts brought to you by Propeller Group, the specialist agency that builds profile and helps grow business for companies in media, marketing, retail and technology. I'm Martin Lote, founder of Propeller and curator of The Dog and Bone. In each episode, we invite business leaders with something to say into our kennel for a chat, and we ask them to dig up something a bit tasty for us to chew on. In this episode of The Dog and Bone, we're going to discuss media about media. And I'm joined by two big dogs in the world of B2B media content and publishing to discuss the rapid change in their industry. After working in media and creative agencies, Greg Grimmer joined the fast-growing independent digital agency Fetch as COO in 2014. He helped it grow some more and the business was sold to Dentsu and Greg left in 2019. Later that year, he became CEO of the advertising industry information company Mediatel, which itself was recently acquired by AdWanted Group. Greg is still there. Philip Swindon joined Haymarket in 2008 and held various positions before becoming managing director of Haymarket Business Media in 2016. He now runs a wide stable of publishing brands covering areas such as energy, medical and marcoms, and this includes campaign and PR week. Greg and Philip, welcome to The Dog and Bone. Thanks very much, Martin. Nice to be here. So can we just start by getting you both to sketch out briefly what your businesses do and your role within them, perhaps starting with Greg? Okay, well, Mediatel, as you said, has been acquired by Adwanted Group. But uh, when I joined, I was, I was keen as an ex-ad agency guy, I was looking at brand positioning. And uh, I was actually explaining what Mediatel was to some of my uh, Fulham city mates and I said you know and they look so like you're the ad agency guy what are you doing going to this strange strange company and I said well yeah our, our vision is to be the Bloomberg for the media industry so you know, we are both tech and information uh, for everyone who works in media and I want people to come in put a cup of coffee down log on to Mediatel first thing in the morning whether it be pick up yeah latest uh uh, information around you know, trading and revenues and audiences or uh, news snippets and things and obviously the the events business on the back of that is again more information provision um, we've you know we, we found a uh, a good strategic partner for the business in, in Adwanted who have a similar business both in the US and in and in France and have got global aspirations so we're hoping to be able to use our, our new group to export the really successful tech products that we have in the UK, specifically audio. We have a fantastic audio uh, division and also uh, Retail Connected, which is our, our encyclopedia of media. And um, what the Adwanted guys have got is similar audio strength in France and a similar connected business in the US as well. So that's um, that's us in a, in a snapshot. Okay. That's a good introduction. So, Philip, tell us a little bit more about yourself uh, and Haymarket Business Media. Well, Haymarket Business Media is one of uh, six divisions that make up the Haymarket Group. Um, and Haymarket, I suppose, is synonymous with a lot of our uh, consumer titles. But actually, we are predominantly now a business media company uh, with a very large medical publishing business in the US. Uh, and in the UK, the largest part of our operations actually is, is in business media. And we operate principally across three markets, uh, which you, you mentioned energy and environment, medical um, and marketing communications, which obviously includes PR week and campaign. Um, my 
personal background actually is uh, more on the energy and environment side, uh, which is where I joined the company to kind of um, develop some more kind of sustainable publishing opportunities. And then um, latterly, I've uh, taken on the other groups and now run the uh, business media division. Thanks for that. So I think we must explore a little bit what's happened in the last 12 months in, in business publishing. Um, we won't go through the reasons for that. Everyone knows there's been huge change. Um, but uh, starting with you, Greg, uh, what's the pandemic been like for MediaTel? It's fantastic. Love to be with it. And this is where we're, we're fortunate as not a peer play publisher. So our, our connected product, which is a subscription product for media agencies and media owners, uh, has had um, very good retention rates. Obviously, there are agencies that have suffered, particularly travel specialists and entertainment specialists. So, yeah, they've suffered and we've worked, worked with those people to yeah, around payment holidays until they can get back to the business. Uh, Radio, radio actually has been a beneficiary of, of, of lockdown, and I think radio has been a, a incredibly strong audio as, as we are as we've proved today. You know, podcasts and audio have been very strong during lockdown. So Jet, as another subscription product, has has, has held up well. Um, the opportunity for us in lockdown really came from the events in the publishing division, which. Um, and again, but we luckily we we don't we never had a, a, a printed magazine, so didn't have any problems around around distribution. What we did try and do, Steve Scafardi and I, who is the, uh, runs our events division, we were busy trying to run a, a television tech event uh, the week before lockdown in the UK, and we had uh, the Nordics telling us that they were coming, whatever, and the, the Americans telling us they weren't coming under any circumstances. So uh, we eventually pulled that. Uh, live event about a week before lock, uh, official lockdown and ran it in uh, we were forced to run it as a virtual event so the, the pivot from live to virtual was forced upon us and the events team did an amazing job to, to actually take that one event and turn it into a um, a, um, a live streamed event rather than a live in-person event uh, and then again, we decided at that stage that we could either uh, sit and wait for the pandemic to finish, yeah, or we could yeah, take advantage of the fact that there were people out there that yeah, were sat, as the, the three of us are, yeah, at home with high-quality broadband, high-quality yeah, uh, laptops in front of them and actually deliver content to them. So we, we did a series of... Um, digital events across uh, spring and summer last year, which had fantastic take up. Um, I did say it was 10 times the work to get 10% of the revenue, uh, but it did mean that we were able to um, you know, make a small profit within 2020 within our events and publishing division rather than a loss, which is what would have happened had we sat and done nothing. Is this. Um switch to digital events that MediaTel uh, has been seen to do over the last 12 months, just a temporary phase then. It's not a, a, a game changer for the future. We very quickly looked at the various pieces of technology around. We started off by doing Zoom and Teams meetings. But of course, as, as, as yeah, uh, again, I think any B2B marketeer quickly realised that they could run their own events and run their own zoom call or team school with with people so we needed to, as an events business we needed to make it more professional and yeah more interesting than that so we've, we've now invested in 
technology to make it make it a different experience and a better experience for delegates uh, and that is one i think will continue so as, as we've now become rather than a landlocked uk brand a, a global brand there's no reason why our future of audio event in london isn't isn't streamed to uh our our new customers in in the states or singapore or sydney so i think that that will be the future for us will be not live only and not digital only but a hybrid Okay, so Philip, tell us a little bit about um, Haymarket Business Media over the last 12 months. Uh, I know things have changed. Uh, you are in the print world traditionally, but uh, obviously adding all sorts of different services. Uh, tell us how that journey's been for you over the last year or so. Well, we were on a journey where um, we thought that our financial year ends at the end of June. We thought that we were going to register a record year. Um, and then three months before the end of that, the end of that financial year, we had to cancel about 20 events and included some of our big blockbuster events. We do big things like Festival of Work at Olympia. We have some big events in the uh, uh, the media and uh, Marcom's industry, like the Brighton 360s and so on, all of that went. And it immediately wiped about eight, nine million pounds worth of revenue. I was quite, which may not sound much to some of the mega media businesses uh, listening to this, but actually in the world of business media is quite, you know, it's quite significant. and. Uh, we had to um, we had to take a number of measures, uh, including restructures and asking staff to take pay cuts and um, and using the furlough scheme uh, to try and get the situation um, under control. Um, on live, we had to very quickly kind of pivot into that the, the, from the physical live portfolio. It was entirely physical live portfolio. Uh, to a virtual and um, and hybrid portfolio, um, and actually that has, I think, actually bred a kind of innovation that was um, we didn't expect uh, at, the, at the beginning of this. But um, we have we are now running a lot more, for instance, global events than we were before. Rather than and Greg was talking about not being a landlocked UK business anymore, we found that one of the big opportunities uh, through the pandemic and a, you know, increased use of things like. Uh, Zoom and, and video meetings has actually been to internationalize our events portfolio. And that's meant actually bigger numbers for sponsors, much bigger numbers, more diverse audiences. Um, downside, of course, is that the sort of money you can charge to attend a conference, which might normally be 500 to 1,000 pounds, something like that to attend, sometimes more uh, to attend a conference, uh, has diminished very significantly. So as a revenue line that has been I would say decimated, you know, we're probably looking at 20% of the kind of revenues we were getting before from that line. But from a sponsorship perspective, actually, we're able to offer quite a compelling new package, bigger audiences, more international and so on. Um, so live is actually, you know, we're operating with much less, much lower revenues on live, but we're, we're actually running a bigger portfolio than we had when we were purely a physical live business. We've got innovative new um, uh, products. Uh, we've globalized some of the existing portfolio. Um, and it's um, it's not that far. The profitability of the live business, even with the diminished revenues, is actually not that far off what it was in the physical world, which is then leading us to all kinds of interesting, you know, um, thinking about what the future of live should be when obviously the restrictions are lifted and we can come back. And obviously there'll be some kind of some kind of hybrid hybridization um, of events. But you take something like an awards dinner. You know, we run a lot of awards dinners. Grosvenor House and um, the Hilton on Park Lane, and they're traditionally sort of 
you know, the only content is the content you get when you turn up on the night in your black tie. Um, whereas through the pandemic, we've had to develop a new form of awards content, much more insight in it, much more co um, commentary from the judges, more uh, explanation from the winners as to the, uh, talking about the work they've done. It actually comes together in quite a nice little package that we can uh, we can distribute as enduring content and get a much bigger audience for. So the audience for our awards has gone from just being kind of people that are shortlisted and turn up on the night to yes, those people as well, but also a wider kind of a concentric circle of audience, which again means that from a entrance perspective or from a sponsor's perspective, they get that much more impact from our awards. So that's been a kind of an interesting, interesting sort of finding. Uh, if you move with some of the other areas like audiences, I mean, when lockdown hit in March, our audiences actually went through the roof. I don't know if that was your experience was as well, Greg, but we just saw this big spike in demand to just know what's going on. And it, I suppose it helps that some of our sectors are in the medical sector. So we were able to talk a bit about, you know, we were able to talk a bit about you know, the medical side of things uh, and the impact on the NHS. And there was a lot of demand from, you know, obviously doctors and people working in the NHS for, uh, for that sort of content. Um, but equally, you know, we've seen things like uh, one of our magazines is, is in Horticulture Week, so it covers the garden retail sector and they were publishing stories on, you know, when was the garden retail sector going to reopen? And suddenly we just we got 10 times the audience that we would normally get on that site because we had a whole load of shoppers curious about when the their, their local nursery was going to reopen. Um, unfortunately, we weren't really able to turn it into any money, but it was interesting from a sort of an impact perspective that suddenly we go from, you know, 60, 70,000 unique users on a niche site to kind of half a million. Um, so audience, audiences really spike. Where is the revenue coming from in that mix? Because the audience might be going up um, and the events might be uh, increasing in number, but you mentioned that the, the, the ticket item, that the pricing ticket isn't so high. So where are you looking for your, your revenue now in, in, in Haymarket in terms of what's the most profitable sources? Well, the most robust source of revenue has been subscriptions. So that's um, been growing in double digits for a number of years now. And um, we, the pandemic hasn't really affected that. In fact, in some ways, um, as I say, with the increased audience numbers, we've been able to actually um, drive up our subscription numbers by having bigger licenses, you know, engaging more users and so on. So I'd say the driving force behind our revenue growth is very much paid content, uh, recurring revenue subscriptions. Um, we're sort of increasingly starting to add um, more data and research oriented kind of products alongside the traditional editorial, which is something that obviously MediaTel have been doing for many, many years. But Haymarket, it's an area that we haven't yet managed to spread out across all our brands. Um, so we just recently launched a, an intelligence product in the campaign sector, which monitors um, account wins and losses all around the world. And you can kind of slice and dice it in lots of interesting ways. Um, so there's going to be probably a trend towards more high value information services that we can supply as part of these licenses that we now have with big brands and, and big agencies and so on. Um, I would say advertising is heading um is heading downwards um but we're seeing a shift that's sort of to some extent ameliorated by the fact we're seeing a shift into lead generation and very much roi driven um kind of advertising and content partnerships as well and in fact the sweet spot is when you can do a content partnership that has lead generation attached to it and you use all your sort of creativity to come up with compelling you know engaging content 
and you know, we can uh, partner that with our database of known audiences in these kind of sectors. We can create sort of great results for clients. So, um, so I would say, you know, advertising as a whole is going down, but within advertising, we've got um, a rapid growth um, uh, revenue line, which is the um, sort of content partnerships with leads attached to them. Uh, print, I would say, has been the, I mean, this was a trend that was already well in, obviously, uh, uh, well entrenched leading up to the pandemic, but print, if anything, I would say the advertising, advertising has kind of, um, we've seen the decline of that accelerate quite significantly um, since the pandemic. I and mean, it's not helped by the fact that a lot of business media companies, including Haymarket, stopped doing print for a while just because it was very difficult to distribute magazines to empty offices. Um, and when print came back, you know, people were kind of out of the habit of using print. They they moved across into digital, discovered the wonders of lead gen and everything. Um, and it's been quite hard to get them back into print. So print has suffered, I would say, disproportionately um you know uh, as a result of the pandemic compared to some of the other revenue lines you mentioned print obviously magazines like you know campaign are quite famous for their printed edition what, what's what's the future hold for um printed glossy advertising magazines the way i look at it is that we're in a battle for engagement minutes or engagement hours um with our audiences and you know the way we reach them is now through multiple channels it's not just through obviously the print channel we've now you know years ago we added online we're now adding audio so we've got multiple channels different ways of engaging those audiences and print has a role to play in that because it gives us a really deep engagement um, experience with the audience you know typically a print magazine will get half an hour 45 minutes of time from an audience member it's quite hard to get that amount of time actually digitally through a content site which has maybe you know uh, each visit is get is getting maybe one or two minutes of um uh, one or two minutes of, of, of time um we're discovering podcasts actually is quite a good way of of an alternative way of getting deep engagement with audiences because again you know a regular listener to a podcast is with the brands experiencing the brand for 30 45 minutes a week so that's quite a good you know alternative to print in terms of getting that deep engagement and i think we'll be doing probably more of the audio podcast type of engagement with audiences and we'll probably see less of print inevitably i mean i don't specifically brand by brand it's a very different story and it kind of all depends on you know what the demand is for advertising and the demand from the subscribers in the, those specific sectors but i think in general we'll see continuation of the trend of uh less print but more engagement through probably things like podcasts so just before asking greg's um views on the sort of financial models he's seeing when life returns to normal, Philip, and I start to visit ad agency receptions as I always used to do, will I still see campaign uh, on their coffee tables or should I uh, get used to a future without that? Well, campaign used to be a weekly, now it's a monthly. Um, so, you know, I suppose you could say we're on a journey, but I mean, there's no, I mean, there's, there's no specific plan to come out of print with campaign at this stage. Um, it's just that, you know, it is becoming more and more difficult to operate that print model in the way that we used to. There's more pressure on print. One of the things actually we uh, observed was that when we came back into print um, in the uh, the beginning of the autumn, um, it it you know print takes up an awful lot of time, effort, resource, energy, you know, head scratching time, everything, and um, uh, you know it it suddenly it put a lot more pressure on uh, a workforce that was already you know having to contend with working at home and you know we're having kind of workload issues and things like that so 
you know, print is, it's an awful lot of work for the amount of engagement you're getting with the audience. And I think that equation is starting to, you know, it's, it's starting to change a little bit. You know, we're starting to question, you know, are we getting enough value, engagement value from the amount of time and effort that we're putting into, into print? But there's still, you know, there's a place for it. And, you know, um, it's a great way of, of stimulating ideas and discussion and providing people with you know, content they probably otherwise wouldn't be looking for. Um, it's a great way of making heroes of people in the industry and it's a great way of, you know, telling emotional stories. Um, but it's, as I say, the equation is starting to, is starting to shift a little bit on it. Fair enough. Well, Greg, I mean, you're a great example of a hero within the industry. I think you've appeared in the pages of, of campaign many a time, but, um, picking up the baton from Philip there, what, what's the, what's the revenue and the, the earnings potential in the MediaTel portfolio now, uh, can you make money out of these online events? You know, you can you can definitely make money out of online events, and uh, uh, you can make money out of online publishing as well. the The big change that we made uh, early on was to put our publishing team and event team together, and uh, that was a pretty obvious move. But um, okay, so one one sales team, yeah, one sales team, one management team looking at event and publishing as a single entity and going to the market with a single entity has been a, uh, a great move for us and has uh, enabled us to you know, charge premiums for, you know, as, as Philip described, you know, multi multi so that it might be someone's doing you know, sponsored content, you know, plus a webinar, plus being a sponsor at a larger event. So you know, we've got some very loyal uh customers sponsors in, in that area who've who've been using us for yeah a, a number of years and now they're using us perhaps yeah more than they were before because we put those things together you're listening to the dog and bone podcast from propeller group if you're enjoying it please share the link with your network subscribe on itunes or your normal podcast provider and if you're feeling really inspired please write a review to help us zoom up the charts now back to the conversation I know you've got questions for each other uh, in a second, but just before we do that, I believe expansion is afoot. Um, you, you've got a new uh, product launching in the market soon. Is that right, Philip? Yes. Um, so um, one of the um, one of the one of the trends, obviously, we've seen going on in the um, advertising industry has been that sort of or advertising and marketing industry has been that sort of shift um, from creative spend into performance marketing, ROI driven kind of below the line uh, digital marketing. And we felt there was a, a bit of a gap in the market actually for uh, an independent, high quality, authoritative um, um, editorial brand that covered uh, the performance marketing uh, community. And we think actually it's a, it's a pretty big community. We reckon at the moment it's about half a million professionals worldwide working in you know, search, affiliates, um, influencer, um, uh, CRM marketing. And um, so we're on, uh, we're about to actually launch a, a new brand that specifically targets that community. Um, and it will have, you know, awards and data products and, um, and subscriptions and live events as part of the, as part of the mix, but it will sit kind of alongside PR week and campaign to give us the sort of third leg of the um of the of the marcom's um stool so to speak um so that's an exciting new launch it shows that you know um 
even even through the pandemic and the difficulties, you know, we're still able to come out the other side and look at investment opportunities and uh, and new markets. It, it won't be the only investment, I'm sure, that we that we make over the coming months. That's interesting stuff. And will it have an editorial voice? Will it have journalists and an editor? Absolutely. I think you know, I think about Haymarket is. I think we we probably made our name really as being. Um, uh, uh, you know, it's been trying to be number one from from an editorial perspective and as uh, as storytellers. You know, we um, we are not we're not historically data people, insights people. You know, we're storytellers, we're editors, journalists. The stars of Haymarket historically were the were the editors, and um, and we you know we think that um, there is an opportunity to uh, there is an opportunity to tell stories in in this in this new community in the way that we do with PR week in the way that we do with campaigning. Yeah, we'll have an editorial team, um, and it'll have a, a you know a similar sort of setup to the, to what we have in the in in the other markets. So you're creating journalism jobs even in the current market. Creating journalism, that's right, absolutely creating journalism jobs and and jobs in live events and jobs in marketing. But you know it's a it's a bit of a shift because we've also lost. You know, unfortunately, at the beginning of the pandemic, we we lost some jobs because we had to do um, a restructure as we saw, you know, that live events money disappear. It wasn't just live events as well. It was also um, we still have a recruitment business and um, we saw that absolutely decimated in uh, March, April and May in terms of the amount of jobs that were being advertised um, in the UK. It's made a very strong recovery in the last couple of months. Um, but no, we've had to. You know, we had to do a restructure then, but we are starting to invest back into the business now. We're, we're very confident about the future. I think we think that next year there's going to be a strong recovery, particularly in the UK. I think it's a little bit more tricky when you're talking about sort of internet things like international live events, but certainly in the UK, um, we're expecting a strong recovery. What do you want to just share the the name of the um, the new brand as we have a listenership of advertising, media, and marketing people? It's going to be called Performance Marketing World. Um, and it reflects the fact that it's a truly global community. In fact, most of the performance performance marketeers, the sort of digital people and um, performance managers within business actually are based in the US. So it will use Haymarket's global network of um, uh, subsidiaries in, in uh, New York and um, Hong Kong and the UK. It will, it will draw, draw together our Marcom's um, resources in those three, in those three um, uh, locations. I wrote a column on this. This this uh, the, the best rebrand in marketing in my thirty years working in advertising has been the rebrand from direct marketing or direct response into performance marketing. So, and it's ironic, of course, because the people that didn't believe in branding were the direct the direct marketeers, and they're the ones that have been the recipients of this fantastic rebrand. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I think Haymarket historically had a direct marketing brand as well years ago, which fell out of fashion. Yeah, it was yeah the one that no one read. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, Philip, have you got a what's your question for Greg? Media is kind of a, uh, an interesting business, one that I'm actually quite sort of envious of in many ways because um, traditional media businesses, uh, I mean, traditional business media businesses, have all over the last sort of ten years or so tried to um try to bring data try to bring data into their business model so they've, they've come from sort of publishing print live events kind of background try to import data in a lot of them found it really difficult actually to bring in kind of the, the, the sort of skill sets and capabilities you need to support a data business um uh and i just wondered you know obviously almost going the other way around or starting as a data business 
and then adding the kind of the live events and so on. I just wonder what the what the secret is of being able to sort of integrate data people with kind of it with publishing people, um, and whether you had any kind of observations on that. I talk about being uh, the Bloom, the Bloomberg and media, uh, Mediatel and Bloomberg were both launched in 1981, and I did chastise Derek that Bloomberg is now a 10.8 billion business, yeah, whereas yeah, Mediatel slightly smaller than that. But I think it has done a brilliant job of starting what, what was it was started pre-internet. So yeah, again, I think people at Mediatel were early internet pioneers of um, getting data to media, to media buyers and sellers, which was. Uh, television national advertising revenue there was, there was just no it was done by phone calls and back of fag packets and yeah yeah beer mats in pubs and suddenly it was coming through um, on thermal paper to agencies and sellers so that they could trade effectively uh, and then I think again uh, the, the, the news came out of that so there was those there news stories so it employed um, really, yeah, PR people to start writing so news came out of that and then events events was was yeah, spun out of that. So I think we've been able to attract people that were naturally interested in that. Did, did, did your did your data team and editorial team work together, or do you keep them fairly apart? Uh, yes, they do, uh, and but they need constant encouragement to do that. I had a intern working for me. It was a fantastically bright lady from Cambridge who was doing economics at Cambridge, and uh, as her uh, to try and get her to understand. What, how I want to present data to clients. There's this is a illustration of Napoleon's Napoleon's advance to Moscow and then his retreat, and the and the, the data visualization on it is the size of the army as he gets closer, and then it, there's the dates of the battles, and then the the key graph on the retreat is the temperature. So he loses more men through the temperature than he ever loses in war, and it's yeah this was written in. 1805 and yeah with pen and ink and i'm like yeah okay on one piece of paper you've just got yeah and uh this lady still works still works in, in fact she works for google now oh my god this yeah, lady called lizzie sylvie if you're listening lizzie but yeah i gave her this as a leaving present as the, yeah this is this is how <laughs> this is how you need to yeah, look at data visualization and how it you talk about storytelling i love a story told through data visualization um as much as I as as I do through yeah uh, yeah through, through words or words or illustrations, so uh, I suppose that that's that's um, in a way how I, I try and get the data and the the, um, the journalists to work together. It's a very good point about data visualization. I, mean, I think you know going back to where I was saying, you know, the role of print is to give us deep engagement, and 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 we we are looking at other ways to get deep engagement. Actually, really good data visualization, great infographics. You know, is is something that um, can really hold the attention of um, audiences um, online. You know, where we're in that fight for for engagement time, and certainly an area that we've been, you know, we've been working on and building up our capabilities around, and actually seeing to some extent a bit of transitioning from traditional print art editor type skills uh, into being, a, you know, we're trying to get the art editors to do much more of this kind of infographic data visualization work, and I think that would be a a big trend for them. But what's your question for Philip? Um, looking at your background as a as a journalist who then moved into uh, publishing publishing and events, and obviously you said yes, a haymarket business as it incorporates a, a portfolio across that energy medical yeah, media. Um, do, do you think that, that there is still a place for yeah, generalist yeah, publishers? I, 
I don't think so, but I, I get your point, and I think it's I think it's right that we probably we are trying hard to kind of import more specialist expertise into the business, more deep expertise. And an example might be in the medical sector, actually, where um, interestingly, actually, on the back of the pandemic, we saw um, consumption of our education modules in medical absolutely, you know, skyrocket. Uh, because for a few months, I think doctors that weren't in the front line of COVID had a bit of time on their hands and they were using it to re-educate themselves or bring themselves up to speed. Um, and actually, one of the things that we found with that is that um, a lot of the, the demand for um, audiences from pharmaceutical companies is for highly specialist audiences. And what they want to do is distribute highly specialist content um, you know, around drug development and so on. To do that, to work with that kind of content, we need deep experts. We need people that really understand, you know, the ins and outs of the, the, the leading authority in prostate cancer or acne management or whatever it happens to be. Um, and so in some ways, you know, you can see a bit of a, a, a trend there where we're starting to import more kind of specialist, deep, sort of narrow expertise uh, in order to in order to ensure that our content is absolutely, you know, um, is is best in breed for that for those specialist niche audiences that the um the clients want to reach that said we're operating in a matrix and i think one of the things we've probably tried to do at haymarket in the last few years is trying is is trying get all the brands onto essentially the same kind of business model with the same revenues you know with the you know the focus on subscriptions and moving into corporate licenses and adding data and high value information services you know live events um, and we do live events in a certain kind of way uh, now we've added in virtual and hybrid um, uh, uh, corporate part, uh, sorry, content partnerships and lead generation, bringing all that in. And so because you've got these kind of horizontals, these in the matrix, that therefore means you need generalists, if you like, who can operate that, who know the playbook and, and can, and can um, you know, apply that playbook in different sectors. So it's going to be an intersection, I think, of generalists that understand the playbook around, we call it the known audience playbook. It's based around sort of you know gating the sites, collecting information on behavioral information on our audiences from all sorts of different places, and then using that behavioral information to both make the products better and more um, you know more engaging for the for the audience, um, but also helps us market our products, you know, the right products to the right people at the right time and everything. We are coming to the end of our podcast and conversation, um, Philip and Greg, and it's traditional on the dog and bone. I think we're We've been doing this now for over two years. We always end with a slightly fun question, which is what is your most embarrassing business moment that you're prepared to own up to here? Perhaps get something off your chest from a few years ago, clear the air, um, uh, let bygones be bygones. Um, I'll, I'm going to start with Philip and then I'm going to come to, to, to Greg. But Philip, yeah, share something of interest from your career with us, please. So from my deep past, uh, when I was, I was actually a journalist originally, uh, um, before joining Haymarket and I was I used to chair a lot of conferences and I chaired one in Chicago and we'd worked moved heaven and earth to get the mayor of Chicago to open this event so I, my job was to kind of introduce him um, and he hadn't turned up uh, it was nine o'clock or whatever at the start of the conference he hadn't turned up so as the chair I had to kind of say well you know uh yeah we we just we just booked the people we, we we don't know if they're going to turn up or not um and i just went into the spiel about starting the conference starting the conference and just apologizing for the fact the mayor of chicago hadn't shown up and then suddenly i felt somebody tugging my trouser leg from sort of underneath the state underneath the podium um and just pointing sort of you know to the left and then i looked to the left and actually 
there was the mayor of Chicago standing, waiting, looking very cross, um, uh, uh, you know, waiting to kind of give his address. So I completely, completely sort of failed to open the conference um, uh, in the right way then. And I think just recently, it's not particularly, I suppose it's not embarrassing, but I, mean, I haven't had any of those really embarrassing Zoom moments where you've got people coming out of a shower into the background of the of the of a board meeting zoom call or anything like that but i do have a three-year-old called edward who uh is at nursery from monday to thursday and fridays he has off and he does not respect the boundaries of the home office in fact you're lucky this podcast is not being recorded on friday um and he likes to just come into burst into the calls showing you know i don't know his his latest lego toy uh and actually he's managed to make friends with qu some quite senior people i have to say in uh, in uk media uh, including the the, the CEO of Haymarket. I mean, um, Kevin Costello could probably get a job as a children's entertainer, I think, uh, on the back of the way that he amuses my three-year-old son. Um, uh, so it's not it's not particularly embarrassing, but uh, it's uh, it's just one of the uh, quirks of the new way of working that we're all getting used to. Hopefully your experience with the mayor of Chicago stands you in good stead for uh, anything that happens on Zoom, because the heart-stopping moment when you didn't think they were turning up was um, probably a tough one. So, Greg, a long and distinguished career in, in media. Your your most embarrassing moment must be an absolute humdinger. Too many to mention, yeah. Uh, one that always my my wife brings up working about, it's, it's, it's relevant. So it was a while ago, though, at the fantastic um, interagency quiz called Media Mind, uh, I was working at the now defunct agency yeah, CIA. Uh, we reached the final, obviously, because we were brilliantly talented. Uh, the Daily Express were the sponsors. So they, they dug out Magnus Magnuson and the Mastermind Chair to do this. Yeah, to do the uh, quiz. That was all voted lights down in the in the and. Um, uh, whoever had written the questions at the time had managed to give Magnus the wrong, and it was, uh, I remember it very clearly, it was a definition of, yeah, uh, AB, ABC1 socioeconomic groups, because he actually read out, yeah, um, yeah, clerical, clerical, yeah, mid-management workers. I answered ABC1, yeah, Magnus said, I think you'll find it's AB, Greg, and I started to have a row with Magnus Magnuson, yeah, while sat in the mastermind chair about how little did he know about, yeah, yeah, social development groupies. Now, my wife was in the audience that day and has refused to watch me quiz or do anything ever since, um, but we have upcoming at the, uh, at our Future of Brands event, we have, um, ITV have uh, bought the chase with them, so we, I, I now have a chance to repeat my embarrassing moment with the dark destroyer from the chase as I as a, I together with some other media luminaries will be facing facing yeah sure the dark destroyer on the chase so um, look out for that one so that's on the 21st and 22nd of April I believe but a brilliant note you've managed to segue your most embarrassing moment into a commercial plug for a media tele event and you're not even paying to sponsor the podcast but on that wonderful note, I want to thank Greg Grimmer and Philip Swindon for sharing their publishing insights with us today on The Dog and Bone. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on The Dog and Bone. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you have any questions or suggestions, do get in touch via our website, dogandbone.dog. Or send us an email at woof at dogandbone.dog.